Hello, and welcome to the Capture the JS podcast. Download for free at https colon slash slash web dot ung dot edu slash media slash university dash press slash introduction percent 22 percent 20 art dash 082817.pdf. So this is introduction to art. Uh, and section 1.4. Who is considered an artist? What does it even mean to be an artist? In much of the world today, an artist is considered to be a person with the talent and the skills to conceptualize and make creative works. Such persons are singled out and prized for their artistic and original ideas. Their artworks can take many forms and fit into numerous categories, such as architecture, ceramics, digital art, drawings, mixed media, paintings, photographs, print, sculptures, and textiles. Of greater importance, artists are the individuals who have the desire and ability to envision, design, and fabricate the images, objects, and structures we all encounter, use, occupy, and enjoy every day of our lives. Today, as has been the case throughout history and across cultures, there are different tiles, there are different titles for those who make and build. An artisan or craftsperson, for example, may produce decorative or utilitarian arts, such as quilts or baskets. Often, an artisan or craftsperson is a skilled worker, but not the inventor of the original idea or form. An, or, an artisan or craftsperson can also be someone who creates their own designs, but does not work in art forms or with materials traditionally associated with the so-called fine arts, such as painting and sculpture. A craftsperson might instead fashion jewelry, forge iron, or blow gla- glass, into patterns and objects of their own devising. Such inventive and skilled pieces are often categorized today as fine craft or craft art. In many cultures throughout much of history, those who produced, embellished, painted, and built were not considered to be artists as we think of them now. They were artisans and craftspeople and their role was to make the objects and build the structures for which they were hired. According to the design, their owner and others agreed upon with those for whom they were working. That is not to say they were untrained. In medieval Europe, or the Middle Ages, uh, the 5th to 15th century, for example, an artisan generally began around the age of 12 as an apprentice, that is, a student who learns all aspects of a profession from a master who has their own workshop. Apprenticeships lasted five to nine years or more and included learning trades ranging from painting to baking and masonry to candle making. At the end of that period, an apprentice becomes a journeyman and was allowed to become a member of the craft guild that supervised training and standards for those working in that trade. To achieve full status in the guild, 
A journeyman has to complete their masterpiece, demonstrating sufficient skills and craftsmanship to be named a master. We have very little information about how artists trained in numerous other time periods and cultures, but we can gain some understanding of what it meant to be an artist by looking at examples of artworks that were produced. Seated sculpture of Gidea depicts the ruler of the state of Lagash in southern Mesopotamia, today Iraq, during his reign, see 2144 to 2124 uh, BCE, which is figure 1.10. And figure 1.10 is Gidea. I'm sorry if I mispronounce any of these names. The source is Matt Museum, and the license is OASC. Gidea is known for building temples. Many of the kingdom's main cities of, Gid of Gisru, Gersu, today Taloa, Iraq, with statues portraying himself in them. In these works, he is seated or standing with wide, staring eyes, but otherwise a calm expression on his face and his hands folded in a gesture of prayer and greeting. Many of these statues, many of the statues of including the one pictured here, are carved from diorite, a very hard sto stone favored by rulers in ancient Egypt and the Near East for its rarity and the fine lines that can be cut into it. The ability to cut such precise lines allowed the craftsperson who carved the work to distinguish between and emphasize each finger In Gudea's clasped hands, as well as the circular pattern on his stylish sharp shepherd hat, both of which ind indicated the leader's dedication to the well-being and safety of his people. Although the sculpture of Gudea was clearly carved by a skilled artisan, we have no record of that person, or the vast majority of the artisans and builders who worked in the ancient world. Who they worked for and what they created rec and what they created are the records of their lives and artistry. Artisans who were not valued for taking an original approach and setting themselves apart when creating a statue for the rulers such as Gidea. Their success was the based on the ability to work within standards of how the human form was depicted, and specifically how a leader should look within the culture at the time. The large almond-shaped eyes and compact block-like shape, shape of the figure, for example, are typical of the structures from the period. The sculpture is not intended to be an individual likeness to Gidea. Rather, it is a depiction of the characteristic features, pose, and proportions found in all art of the time and place. Objects made out of clay were far more common in the ancient worlds than those made out of metal or stone, such as the seated statue of Gidea, which were far more costly, time-consuming, and difficult to make. Human figures modeled in clay dating back 
dated dating back up to as far as 29,000 to 25,000 BCE have been found in Europe and the earliest known pottery known found in the GXC Provident province China dates to C 18,000 BCE. Vessels made of clay and baked in ovens were first made in the Near East, C 8,000 BCE, nearly 6,000 years before the seated statue of Gedea was carved. Ceramic, clay hardened by, clay hardened by heat, pots were used for storing. Let me start that again. Ceramic, or clay, hardened by heat. Pots were used by storage and numerous everyday needs. They were utilitarian objects made by anonymous artisans. Among the ancient Greeks, however, pottery rose to the level of, the, of an art form. But the statues of the individuals who created and painted the pots did not. Although their work may have been sought after, these potters and painters were still considered artisans. The origins of poetry that can be described as distinctively Greek dated back to C1000 BCE in what is known as the Proto-Geometric Period. Over the next several hundred years, the shapes of the vessels and the types of decorative motifs and subjects were painted on them because of the association uh, and the subjects painted on them became associated with the clay where they were produced and then specifically with the individuals who made and decorated the pots. These types of pots signals by the potter and the painter were generally large, elaborated, decorated, elaborately decorated or otherwise specialized vessels that were used for ritual or ceremonial purposes. That is the case with the Panathenaic Prize Amphoria, 363-362 BCE, signed by Nicodemus, the potter, and attributed to the painter of the wedding procession, whose name is not known but is identified through similarities to other painted pots in figure 1.11. Uh, so uh, figure 1.11 is the painted, is the Pantheon, God, I'm, I'm butchering this name. So I apologize in advance, but let's try this again. Figure 1.11 is the Panathenaic Prize Amphoria with Lid by artist Nicodemus, source the J. Paul Getty Museum, and license open content. The Panathenaea was a festival was a festival held every four years in honors of Athens, the patron goddess of Athens, Greece, who was depicted on the amphoria, amphora, a tall two-handed jar with a narrow neck. On the other side of the storage jar, Nike, the goddess of victory, crowns the winner with a of the boxing competition 
for which the pot containing precious olive oil from Athena's sacred trees was awarded by the city of Athens. Only the best potters and painters were hired to make pots that were part of such an important ceremony and holding such a significant prize. While the vast majority of artisans never identified themselves on their work, these noteworthy individuals were set apart and acknowledged by name. The maker's signatures demonstrated the city's desire to give the award of the highest quality. They acted as promotion for the potter and painter at the time, and they have immortalized them since. It must not be forgotten, however, that the prize inside the pot was considered far more important than the vessel or the skilled artisan who created it. China was united and ruled by Mongols from the north, first under Kublai Khan in the period known as the Yuan Dynasty from 1271 to 1368. The hand scrolled painting Pear Blossoms was created with ink and colors on paper around 1280 by Kuan Hua, uh, see 1235 before uh, 19, before uh, 3, 13, oh, let me repeat that uh, date range. It's between 1235 and before 1307, China. And that's figure 1.12, so we'll go to that now. Figure 1.12, pear blossoms. Artist Quan Huan, source Met Museum, license OASC. After the establishment of the Mongolian government, Huan Huan, sorry, Kuan Huan, uh, I think that's how it's pronounced, abandoned his goal of obtaining a position as a scholar official. As the highest educated bureaucrat who governed China were known and turned to painting. He was part of a group of artists known as the scholar painters or literati. The work of scholar painters was desirable to many admirers of art because it was considered more personal, expressive, and spontaneous to the uniform and realistic paintings by professional trained artists. The scholar painter's sophisticated and deep knowledge of philosophy, culture, and the arts, including calligraphy, made them welcome among fellow scholars and at court. They were part of the elite class of leaders who follow long and noble traditions within Confucian teachings of expressing oneself with wisdom and grace, especially in the art of poetry. Let's see. Okay. We have two more pages in this section, and that'll be it for me. My voice is already starting to go. Because uh, th this textbook is rather long between sections, I think. That, but I'm also, you know, not used to uh, reading for long periods of time. Juan Chuang was one of the first scholar painters to unite painting and poetry, as he does in Pear Blossoms. 
Um, so here I think is the, the, yeah, this is the poem. All alone by the veranda railing, teardrops drenching the branches. Although her face is unadorned, her old charms remain. Behind the locked gate on a rainy night, how she is filled with sadness. How differently she looked bathed in golden waves of moonlight before the darkness fell. This poem is not meant to illustrate or describe his painting of the branch with its delicate young foliage and flowers. Rather, the swaying irregular lines of the leaves and gently unfurling curves of the blossoms are meant to suggest comparisons to how quickly time passes. Delicate blossoms will soon fade and evoke memories of times past. In 13th century China, as has been the case throughout much of the country's history, the significance of a painting is closely associated with the identity of the artist uh, and with the scholars and collectors who owned the work over subsequent centuries. Their identities are known by the seals or stamps in red acting as the signature each added to the work of art. Specific subjects uh, and how they were depicted were associated with the art and often referred back to in later works by other artists as a sign of respect and acknowledgement of the earlier master's skill and expertise. In Pear Blossoms, as was often the case, the poem and the calligraphy in which the artist wrote it were part of the original composition of the entire painted scroll. The seals appended and notes written by later scholars and collectors continued adding to the comp composition and its beauty and meaning over the next 700 years. When James Abbott McNeil Whistler, uh, 1834 to 1903, USA, lived England, painted Arrangement in flesh color and black portrait of Theodore Dure in 1883. He was making reference uh, references back to the maker's mark Chinese and Japanese potters used as signatures on their ceramics in the monogram he adopted for his work. A stylized design of a butterfly based on his initials which is figure 1.13. Uh, so figure 1.13, arrangement in flesh color and black portrait of Theodore Dure. The artist is James Abbott McNeil Whistler. The source is the Met Museum and the license is OASC. Whitler, Whistler uh, began Signing his work with a recognizable but altered figure of a butterfly, which often appeared to be dancing in, the, uh, which often appeared to be dancing, in the eighteen sixties. Had he begun collecting Japanese porcelain and prints, and was, oh sorry, he had begun collecting Japanese porcelain and prints, and was tremendously influenced by their colors patterns, and compositions, which reflected Japanese 
principles of beauty and art, including elegant simplicity, tranquility, subtlety, naturalness, understand, understated beauty, and a symmetry or irregularity. Whistler was along many numerous uh, American and European artists in the second half of the 19th century who felt complete, compelled to break away from what they believed were the inhab inhibiting constraints in how and what art students were taught in the system of traditional art exhibitions. For Whistler and others, such restrictions were intolerable. As artists, they must be allowed to freely follow their own creative voices and pursuits. In adopting Japanese principles of beauty in, in art, Whistler could pursue what he called art for art's sake. That is, he could create art that served no other purpose than to express what he, as the artist, found to be elevating, harmonious, and pleasing to the eye, the mind, and the soul. Art should be independent of all claptraps, should stand alone and appeal to the artistic sense of eye or ear, without confounding this with emotions entirely foreign to it, as devotion, pity, love, patriotism, and the like. All these have no kind of concern with it, and that is why I insist on calling my work Arrangements and Harmonies, with a footnote four, and that is a, looks like a quote from James Abbott McNeil Whistler, The Gentle Art of Making Enemies, uh, from New York, Frederick Stokes, Strokes and Brothers, uh, and Brother, 1908, uh, www gutenberg.org slash files slash 24650 slash 24650-h slash 24650-h.htm Settling the artist apart this, in this way as someone with specific qualifications and sensibilities at odds with the prevailing culture and intellectual standards was far from the role played by the scholar-painter such as Huan Huan in 13th century China. This work, Huan Huan created, was in accordance with prevailing standards, while Whistler often thought to himself and his art as conf conflicting with the conventions of his day. Continuing one notion of categorization of the artist that has been present, present in Europe since the 16th century, and later, the United States, Whistler was a sing singular creative genius whose art was often misunderstood and not necessarily accepted. That was indeed the case. In 1878, Whistler won a lawsuit for libel against the art critic John Ruskin, who described Whistler's 19, 1875 painting Nocturne in Black and Gold, The Falling Rocket, as flinging a pot of paint at the public's face, which is figure 1.14. Um, let me read out the details for figure 
Nocturne in Black and Gold, The Falling Rocket. Uh, the artist is James Abbott McNeil Whistler. The source is Wikimedia Commons, and the license is public domain. By around 1880, in the aftermath of the Rackerus proceeding, Whistler often added a long stinger to his butterfly monograms, symbolizing both the general, the gentle beauty of his arts as well as the forceful, at times stinging nature of his personality. Uh, so that's going to be it for today's podcast. Uh, very interesting to see the idea of uh, butterfly and uh, uh, bee kind of being combined. Because I know I've heard that in boxing. Uh, but it's, it's interesting to see that Whistler has also uh, done it before him. So uh, That's going to be it for today. Uh, you can download... Uh, this textbook you can download for free at https colon slash slash web dot ung dot edu slash media slash university dash press slash introduction percent twenty two percent twenty art dash zero eight two eight one seven dot pdf. This has been the Capture the JS podcast. Have a wonderful day.